let's say you're a, uh, a big boy VC and you got into a project, but you feel that yourself and that project's team are no longer aligned in a conventional world. If you're on a two-year vesting schedule, you'll just write that project off. You're not going to help them. You're not going to communicate. You're not doing anything for them. They're going to flounder. Their value is going to go down worse. You're going to just have to take a run it off. Nobody wins. But with Revest, you can actually exit a portion or the entirety of your position, especially if we see the existence of a DAO or another venture capitalist who's interested in rehabilitating projects. They come in, buy the vested tokens at a subprime price, so they get a discount. You get to exit your position and take less of a loss. The team gets somebody who actually cares about the project. Everybody wins. Welcome to Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel, where we explore projects in decentralized finance that are innovating and driving our mission of financial freedom forward. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, and review Mission DeFi and spread the word by posting a tweet to the show. All opinions expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests are their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Black Knox, Material Indicators, or any other affiliated organizations. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Brad Nickel or his guests as an inducement to make a particular investment, follow a particular strategy, or become involved with any project. A project being featured on the show is not an endorsement of that project in any way. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Now, here's Mission DeFi with Brad Nickel. I am excited today to have Rob Montgomery from a project called Revest. And I got connected with Rob because somebody else who's a big fan of his project and probably an investor in the project in some way recommended I reach out. So I took a look at it and I think the concept is really cool based on some other things that I'm involved with. I think there might be some synergies. And so it gives me a great chance to meet Rob, hear how the project is going and how it functions and see what see what's possible. So Rob, thank you for joining us. If you could introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into crypto and, and we'll get into Revest and how that all came about. All right. It's a pleasure to meet you, Brad. So I guess, I guess I kind of start back at the beginning. So my name is Rob Montgomery and I'm the CEO of Revest Finance, born, raised Atlanta, Georgia. And out of all things, I have a background as a mechanical engineer, been in a, been in graduate school for probably the past three years or so working on my doctorate. Wow. But all along throughout the entire process of becoming an engineer, I have had a long interest in crypto. I started programming in 2011, actually Minecraft. Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I had this mod called Explosives Plus. It was a, it was a good time. That's very cool. Oh yeah. I love yeah. it. Brad, that was so much fun. I, I, I had a million downloads of the thing. You know, I started out really small and ping ponged off YouTubers and we just kind of, we, we 
we built off of each other. It's a benevolent cycle. Yeah, that's awesome. A good friend of mine runs a project called Uplift, which is a Minecraft-based metaverse with NFTs. I've heard of it. Yeah. And he's moving it onto some other chains. So that's very cool. I should probably connect you two guys up. <laughs> if you want to talk about all the crazy ways you can build explosives in the 3D Java <laughs> games, I'm happy to turn them on for a few things. That's great. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. But, so you started learning how to program writing Java on for Minecraft on uh, uh, for basically plugins for servers so people it, could use it in their worlds. It was just, it was a fun little hobby I had back in high school. And through it, and just uh, the wider kind of Minecraft community, actually, I got led to Bitcoin, which is a really weird way to find Bitcoin. But okay. that is, it was 2012. Bitcoin was not even $40 a token at that point. Wow. Oh, this is, this is interesting. Unfortunately, put it off for a few months, you know, I did some investigating. Uh -huh. At the time I actually bought in, I believe it was early 2013, Bitcoin was $40 a token, a, a Bitcoin. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> I wish I put more than a hundred bucks in, Brad. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're all tentative at first. So I got really into crypto at that point, you know, try to convince my family, you know, Hey, give me $10,000. Bitcoin is going to be huge. It's going to be this, the next big thing. And they're like, get back to work. <laughs> Do you ever say to them, you know what that 10,000 would be worth right now? I have a text from my father. My father and I are very good friends, you know, sit out and have cigars all the time. You know, we hang out, we hang out like every other week or so. Right. But. I'd love to rib him about those texts. I'm probably going to get it framed at some point. Oh, I love it. It's me telling him, you guys really need to be buying Bitcoin. And he's like, son, you need to stop gambling and focus on investing, <laughs> including yourself. <laughs> oh, man, that's the best I told you so ever. <laughs> I mean, at the time I understand, you know, he doesn't understand Bitcoin. He doesn't understand crypto. I still sure. have time getting wrapped his head around it, but it's pretty great. Oh my <laughs> God. So that 10,000 would be $15,250,000 right now. Wow. Wow. It's painful. Well, it's very painful. you know, we, we all have stories of what we should have done. So, so. But I, I did get, I did get involved in crypto, so I, I can't complain. I stayed involved in crypto. I got, you know, in and out throughout the early 2010s. You know, I'd buy some here, sell some there. Never really got into any projects in a big way because, I mean, the only projects back then were like full, full mainnet builds. But I did get into Ethereum come the 2017 bull market. Okay. That was, that was my first kind of steps is like. I started mine and I went out and bought a 1070. I got kind of into that community nice. and it was, it was fun. But then I, cause I didn't entirely know what I was doing. I overclocked the 1070 and unfortunately it caught fire. Oh, no. Yes. Oh, gosh. That was, that was, dude, Brian, that was, that was an odd day. So I came home it's sitting over there actually still. It's just like in a, a desktop PC that I built out, turned into a web server. Right. Flex, uh, home assistant, various automation systems. It's, it's a nice little hobbyist project. Right. But I was using it as my money rate too. And I come home and it's, it, 
it's not working and I can't get it to turn on. And I, I guess sniff inside and it smells a little like electricity. I'm like, okay, oh. power supply unit blue. That's, that must be it. Right. So I go and I order a new PSU and I pop it in and turn on the, the system. And I kid you not, the 1070 just starts shooting out a two inch stream of fire from the side of it. No. <laughs> So it turned out that the, the entire thing caught fire, and that's why the PSU had fried. It had been tripped. But, uh, oh, man. You better believe I unplugged that thing real fast. I guess so. That's insane. Wow. So was that the end of your mining career? That was the end of my mining career. Yeah. That'll probably uh, do it for anybody. Well, okay. I'm a file warranty claim, and I'm just going to use this as a graphics card from now on. <laughs> there you go. But I did stay involved. I got into Chainlink when it started up. Nice. Um, I think I bought it around four or five dollars. Sweet. So I mean, I want, I'm not one of those guys who bought Link at a ridiculously low price, but I, I got in. I right around. Right. Trade played around, and then this year, this year was my big, has been my big crypto year. So I actually I got married this year. Congratulations! That's Thank awesome. You. Thank you very much. But this this actually this figures into the whole story. It was, uh, it was January, I think. I, I'd asked my wife to marry me in December, and she said yes. It started to hit me. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I am a broke-ass grad student who doesn't even, who's not even that passionate about what he's doing. She must really love you. Uh, she does. <laughs> She's amazing. Honest to God, Brad, that, that woman has kept me alive throughout being a CEO. She is, she is a saint. That's <laughs> how awesome. I that's great. It, it's, I, I'm very fortunate, man. So come like January, February, I realized, okay, I want to actually start making some money. So I looked to, you know, one of my oldest hobbies, which is crypto. And I looked to my other oldest hobby, which is programming. And I'm like, okay, this is, these, these two are kind of a match made in heaven. Uh, sure. Let's see what happens if I start exploring them. So I started a validation node on the unification network and that went fairly well. It's, it's called profundity. It's still running now. Um, it's a cosmos fork, right? Right. So the way they work is you have a weekly lottery and I take a, a cut of that lottery, whatever my node brings in. Okay. So I was making, you know, a few thousand a week, uh, a few weeks, uh, a few weeks into this project. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. This is more money than I make eating my salary. That's an income. That's good. Yes. So I'm going to keep going. Right around then, the first NFT bull was kind of reaching its height. Um, right. Remember like March, yep. April, everything was flying off the handle, all these random art projects. It wasn't art avatar season yet. Um, right. Avatar, whatever you want to call it. it. That hadn't quite hit its stride, but it was, it was NFT mania. Right. Part one. Yep. So... I thought, okay, you know, I have something that is really pretty in my back pocket because back in 2017, I actually tried to rewrite my Minecraft mod right before I started grad school. No, 2018, that was it. And I had this really unique code for an explosion. It used chaos theory to fly, fling things around and create wow. shapes. Oh, yeah. No, it, it was cool. And I saw uh, Chico's video on Proof of Beauty. Uh, it's an NFT project that lets you choose a seed, right? Right. And I thought, okay, I really like that. That actually works really well with this code that I have sitting around. I'm going to combine these two. 
And I did an interactive NFT in JavaScript. Oh, and man. It was, yeah. It was, uh, it's called negative entropy. It's sitting around. Someday I'll do part two. But that's a best. really cool concept. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. It's 3D kinetic sculptures. So wow. part of awesome. form animations. Basically. Oh, I'm definitely going to take a look at that. Oh, yeah. It, it was fun. So, but the, the end result of this was that I learned solidity and that I, I mean, honestly, it was, it was pretty easy to learn on top of, you know, 10 years, nearly 10 years of Java. I was going to say, if you know Java, you're probably not going to have a lot of trouble learning solidity. It, it was not hard. So, but how did you go from that to Revest? I mean, obviously the NFTs is part of it. Yes. So that's actually where Revest begins to take form. It is a negative entropy launch and it was a success. It made 15F. It was, it was good. Nice. I had a lot of fun making it. But once it had launched, I was kind of like, okay, you know, what's next? Right. And I was playing around on Beyond NFT's website one day. Just, you know, looking through, seeing what the latest projects were. And Beyond NFT is the interactive NFT platform that I've used. It's kind of like an open source art blocks, actually. But they're a cool little sub-project. And I found they have a mar marketplace. They, okay. uh, it was, it purported to be an NFT of a live coin piece for me. I thought to myself, that's kind of cool. Let's see what this is. So I yeah. clicked on it, and it was just a pan jumping on a slot machine. It's a weapon. Okay. Not a live Bitcoin price feed. That's interesting. Yeah. So I was disappointed. Uh, I thought, okay, I can do better than this. Fired up, oh, Jesus, JS fiddle and started playing around with 3JS and the chain link price feeds and using Infura. Right. Uh, the next thing I knew, I had actually written a live Bitcoin price feed. I started to think, what if? you were using these price feeds on chain with an NFT. Nice. Because you, you've got the NFT here, you've got the price feeds off chain, you know, just working in the code in JavaScript, but these are on chain thing. You can use them with solidity. Right. And then kind of wheels started turning. It was like, wait a second, unlocking value, thresholds, price locks. And that just, that led into revest. And uh, the revest, the ideas for revest started to take shape. I reached out to some friends that I'd made along the way. The web dev who helped me with negative entropy. He's now my CTO. Nice. Some friends of mine I'd made via the validator. One of them was my CINO, Chris. And the other one is my CFO, Louis, Dr. Louis Gagnon. He's a professor of finance at Queen's Very University nice. up in Kingston, Canada. Kingston, Ontario? Yeah, Ontario. So, you know, the, these people, they kind of just fell into my lap and we just started talking and it, it worked. It, it clicked. They were interested in the idea. They came on board. We had a group, we had a project and we started working. As we worked, I brought in a few more friends of mine, my buddy Mikkel, can't say his real name, of course. He's a, he's an Atlanta-based entrepreneur who's been involved in projects for 10 years now, just doing various entrepreneurship work and marketing. My buddy Thado, who is, uh, he's also Atlanta-based. He's got a background in, you know, well, private equity and all sorts of, you know, just traditional CFI roles. Nice. So I brought him in and we had the team put together at that point. Damn, that sounds like a solid team. They're fantastic people. I could not have done this without them. We also, uh, along the way, we also picked up Fubar. I should, I should not forget to mention Fubar. He, uh, he was instrumental in helping me hash out the solidity, gas optimizations, 
uh, the man is, he's inspired. He did a bunch of work for Sushi Swap. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna jump in here with a short anecdote. And so we were looking for a name and I haven't gotten to tell the story a lot. We were just looking around with things that had to do with invest, like vesting, because we figured out pretty quickly early on that vesting would be our first vertical. Okay. And so we're thinking of, you know, what, what works with vesting? And we come up with the revest, which means to reinvest. Right. But as it turns out, there's actually a man named Ron Rivest, <laughs> R-I-V-E-S-T, and he is the R in RSA cryptography. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, it is quite the coincidence. You've got to rest, you got to reach out, reach out to him and say, Hey, we, we used your name, but we changed it to an E. We'd like an official sponsorship, sir. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So yeah. let's go through and talk about what it, it feels to me. And I haven't taken as deep a dive as I, as I would like to so far, but I have watched some of your videos. I watched you actually onboarding a project which was cool, but I'd really like to kind of get a feel for people about what's possible because it feels to me like there are a lot of possibilities of what you can do with this platform. And so I want to get the overview of kind of what it is and what's possible in general, and then talk about maybe some of the use cases for it. So I'm going to kind of give a top level overview of Revest, and then we can get down into the weeds. Great. So what Revest mission fundamentally is, is that we are seeking to tokenize non-fungible financial positions with non-fungible tokens. And I mean, you may think, okay, that, that sounds very broad and very general, but I'll, I'll get into a little bit of detail here. When you think about financial positions as a whole, there's really just two types of them. There's fungible and there's non-fungible. And if you look at, if you look at centralized finance, you have representations of both those types of positions with, you know, instruments that make sense of them. So okay. a stock is represented with, you know, a, a piece of paper that says, you know, I am this stock, I'm not someone else's stock and you can't interchange it. But when you look at DeFi, it's not so straightforward. We're trying to use quarters, ERC twenties to represent something as complex as a limit order or an option. Right. And it makes no sense. I guess the, the fundamental aspect to grasp here is that you have something that is unique and cannot be stacked on top of itself. You have something that is stackable. And obviously when you're talking about a currency or when you're talking about loans on a single token, you know, those stackable things, they make a lot of sense. Liquidity pool tokens make great sense. Uh, right. Aave's loan token make great sense. But let's say you get into something like an option. An option is a great example. You've got multiple independent variables. You have what the, the, the primary asset is, right? You have what the strike price is. You have what the execution date, the, uh, the expiration date is. You have what the uh, settlement asset is. You've got, whether it's a call or a put option, you've got so many just independent variables that exist on a continuum of possibilities. It's right. not a discrete set. It's a, an infinite set. Okay. And what happens in DeFi right now if you're not on a proprietary platform and you want to just be able to trade these options kind of anywhere, is that for some reason, people have decided they should be represented with ERC-20s. Got it. And it makes no sense. It, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so you'll have, instead of, you know, strike price between zero, zero and infinity, you'll have strike prices at like very discrete marks in okay. some of these use cases. And 
you end up with a very limited set of what is possible solely because you in, you'd had the alternative is ERC-20 float, like infinite ERC-20s. Right, right. And what Revest is striving to do is to offer a much more natural fit, stop shoving these positions into boxes that it makes no sense to shove them into. We are trying to say, okay, instead of using fungible tokens to tokenize non-fungible positions, you could just use non-fungible tokens. <laughs> Which would seem to make sense. It, it, it's the natural, it, it makes so much sense. It's so much more natural of a use case. It gives NFTs, you know, the, the applications that people are always talking about that go beyond, you know, just as a representation of art, it gives them a financialized representation, which to me, that's far more sustainable than something that, you know, is just based on perceived value, I suppose. Right. It gives it a bit more bedrock. And I mean, I, I love our NFTs. I've made them. I buy a few every now and then, but I think that the future for NFTs lies in finance, not in art. Love it. And I've actually been saying that, you know, with art, we've just been scratching the surface of what NFTs are going to deliver for us. So I agree with you hundred percent. I'm going to get down into the weeds on solar applications now, but yes, it is, it is going to be quite exciting. Well, and I, I think it's bodes well for your project that you saw this and you're laying the groundwork for it, right? Because that puts you in a great position to facilitate this for other projects, new projects, people that want to create their own things. I mean, that you've actually, you've touched on a really one of our core principles and I'll go off on a quick tangent because composability sure. is a huge element of what Refest is about. We've designed our system in such a way that anyone can come in and build on top of us. Much of the same way that Maker is a building block for so many other systems that Uniswap is a fundamental building block that somebody like Ave, I mean, Flashlands, everyone uses Flashlands. Sure. They're, they're ubiquitous. Chainlink is Oracles. And you have the, what we've done is we've set up all these endpoints in our contracts. We've set up um, public APIs that anyone can tap into. Nice. Anyone can write a revest lock. Anyone can write a revest just system that works with us, that receives funds. And I guess I really get into what locks are and what reverse actual applications are. Sure. This part's great much. Sense. Yeah. So I'll go ahead and jump into that. Great. I mean, our first vertical, where we're entering the market, and this, this flows into what we actually, how our system actually works is vesting. And we see this as the low hanging fruit. It's, uh, there are a lot of ways to lock tokens right now, but not a lot of ways to transfer lock tokens. Right. Um, and yeah, so we can get down into the weeds about the inequities and the, the shortcomings of current systems, but the variety of locks that Revest offers is vastly superior to anything that I've heard else out there. So essentially yeah. you're addressing the problem where someone, a project founder, a team member, whatever gets X number of tokens, but they're supposed to vest over a period of time, or maybe based on some performance metric and being able to lock those up and the ways that you lock those up is one of the verticals that you're first going after. Am I correct in yes, this? Okay. Absolutely correct. Cool. So I'll start with the types of locks we offer and then I'll kind of explain the applications and why what we're doing is better than anything else that exists currently in that space. Okay. So when we talk about locking tokens, there's really uh what's going on with Revest is you can take an ERC 20 and deposit it into an ERC 1155. 
That's fundamentally what our system does. And the way that you retrieve those tokens is you bring a copy of that ERC-1155 to our system and say, hey, I have this copy. And the system says, okay, has another one of the unlocking criteria been met because there's effectively two locks on an Eurovest smart vault. One of them is that you have that ERC-1155, that NFT. The other one is that either a time, a value, or an address lock that is also on that vault is released. Got it. Time locks are self-explanatory. You set a time. Once that time has been reached, the lock unlocks, you can withdraw the underlying value. And in this case, it's, it's, it's easy to think of the underlying value as kind of packets. So you could come to me and say, hey, Rob, I have 100 tokens. I want five packets, 20 tokens each. I give you five NFTs. You can distribute them to your friends however you want. And then they can come back once that time lock has been unlocked. Give me that NFT and I give them back 20 tokens. Nice. So, so essentially, well, I'm sorry, make sure people understand that may not know ERC-1155. Essentially, you're enabling people to lock into non-fungible tokens, what we all kind of think of as art right now. You're able, into that technology, you're able to lock in tokens and give them values or criteria that must be met for people to get those tokens out whenever they're allowed to get them out. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. So the second of these locks is the value lock. And a value lock functions kind of similar to a KPI. It doesn't unlock. I mean, it is a KPI, fundamentally speaking. You choose, uh, you choose an Oracle. They've got three options available currently, likely more on the horizon. Right now, Chainlink and then two Uniswaps. You choose your asset that you want to compare from. You choose the asset you want to compare to. Be any two ER, ERC-20s, provided that there's an Oracle available for them. Right. If they have Uniswap liquidity pools. Got it. So let's say I wanted, you know, 1,000, 1,000 revest to unlock when the price of F goes above $5,000 for some reason. I can just set that up and it'll work right out of the gate. Uh, the applications for this, you know, I mean, it works better when you pair it with a time lock and a combo lock, which is sure. our address lock offerings. But... It's really great for when you want to get a reward growth out of the gate, but you also want that growth to be sustainable. So you could say have like a $250 million mark cap at one month unlock, and then a $500 million mark cap unlock at you know, the three month mark or a year. Got it. Okay. That would be a combo lock. Right. But you could also do it to um, just kind of set up what we call diamond hands, uh, diamond handcuffs, sorry. <laughs> Where you don't like lock your value and you cannot touch it until the, the, the value is actually reached that threshold. It's basically forced totaling. Yeah, the uh, one I the one I watched the other day was I think they were locking up uh, founder tokens and it was either X date or X value in the token. That is the address lock. Okay. The most powerful lock in our arsenal. Okay. Um, and the way the address lock works is that you can set up an arbitrary number of inputs and just basically program to do anything. It, it's either a contract or an address, like a wallet address. Right. But at the end of the day, what happens is that you write your own lock. If you're doing it in a contract, you, you'll just, you know, you'll use our publicly available API. You'll implement it however you like, and you'll deploy it. You set it up so that it will gather information from the front end seamlessly. And anyone can come in and write one of these. Anyone can reuse them. On Friday, I wrote one for our partners at Blocks that's called an admin time lock. It allows an early unlock if a single address sends a message to the system. Hey, 
you can unlock early ahead of time or it's a time lock. Nice. And that's deployed. Anyone can use that now. It's reusable and everything that gets, you know, built on top of that just adds to the stack. That's great. I, I think that a lot of this is functionality is available in an interface, right? Like I can set up a lock without being a programmer. I, I don't need to know solidity or anything else to, to yeah, set up you just want to basic use locks. Existing locks. It's, it's really quite easy. You just that's, choose it from the menu and you're good to go. That's awesome. And then some of those other things that you're adding to it are those things that you'll expose in the UI later on. People add new functionalities. That's yeah. So what we do is we have more of a, that's all solidity based. Yeah, sure. If you want to just write your own, uh, you can just do that and you can come to us and say, Hey, I wrote this great lock. And we'd be like, Oh, sure. Yeah. We'll add it to our presets. if it's good. Cool. And uh, away you go. Nice. And it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I could envision people creating all this functionality that ultimately you've created an application development platform that doesn't require someone to know solidity, right? Because if they could string together some levels of logic, it's not a full blown thing. Don't get me wrong, but I mean, there's a lot of power in being able to do that. Well, the, the real advantage here is that we've separated out, you know, value storage from just, you know, writing a lock. Right. So if you write a bad lock on that's the worst case scenario is the lock fails closed, the lock fails up. And the people who are supposed to get their tokens can't get them or they can get them early, but they're still the people who are supposed to get their tokens. Right. Right. If you write a bad vesting contract, somebody else might get those tokens. <laughs> it makes sense. So it, it ameliorates a lot of the problems you see with, you know, less experienced developers writing code without fully going through the, the paces. Makes sense. Makes total sense. All right. So kind of what, with what you have kind of in your first vertical here with the locks, how have so far people been using them? So, so far, and I mean, these are the applications that we're foreseeing is a lot of team vesting, a lot of LP vesting. What we're trying to get kind of going in the industry and where we see this headed is actually even aligned for acquisitions, but I'll start off, I'll start uh -huh. off with some of the earlier stuff. So let's do, let's, let's start from the bottom. Sure. Seed round tokens. So. With Revest, you can come in, you've got a bunch of seed round investors. Our interface actually has a really easy way to distribute stuff to people. You paste an Excel file in there and you're good to go. It'll send those tokens under whatever lock you configure. Nice. That's fairly standard to traditional vesting structures. Right. Except that you can turn around and you can resell these FNFTs. That's what I was about to say. Fungible tokens. You can resell nice. them on OpenSea. You can resell them on any of our partnership platforms, Ecofies, Oracles. It's all coming. It, it basically allows you to take early liquidity, though, at a slight, you know, you're going to, you're not going to make as much money, but you are going to, you know, be able to exit that position. So desire. Right. One of the examples I love to use is let's say you're a venture capitalist, right? Let's say you're a, uh, a big boy VC, and you got into a project, but you feel that yourself and that project's team are no longer aligned. In a conventional world, if you're on a two-year vesting schedule, you'll just write that project off. You're not going to help them. You're not going to communicate. You're not doing anything for them. They're going to flounder. Their value is going to go down worse. You're going to just have to take a run it off. Nobody wins. But with Revest, you can actually exit a portion or the entirety of your position, especially if we see the existence of a DAO or another venture capitalist who's interested in rehabilitating projects. Makes sense. So Love it. they come in, buy the vested tokens at a subprime price. So they get a discount. You get to exit your position and take less of a loss. 
the team gets somebody who actually cares about the project, everybody wins in that situation. That's awesome. So I, and I definitely can see like a ton of applications of that model in real life. And, you know, I mean, look, you've got people buying lawsuit settlements, people buying other financial assets early. And it's great because essentially this is the thing. I've got 1 million of token X. I need cash today, or I just don't want to deal with this anymore. Somebody else believes in it or is willing to buy it at a discount because they think ultimately it'll have value above what they're paying for it. They can verify with Revest that these tokens are there. They're in the NFT. They're locked up until X criteria and they can buy the NFT for me. That's beautiful. I love it's that. Basically, it's basically, you know, net present value, future present value. Yeah. Just and it of... makes people involved early not feel like there's no exit, right? There Or, or exactly. it's, you know, this thing is five years from now or four-year vesting schedule or whatever, and I've got to wait and I need cash now because I'm, you know, I'm having a baby or I need a house or whatever you need. I'm going to jump into the team applications too because I think cool. you're really going to love this. Awesome. Um, currently in, you know, in, in many projects, there's a lot of teams who come with a good idea, but maybe they're not a, a running team. Maybe they're just a building team. Right. So they've got the idea off the ground. They don't know what to do from here. They're not interested in managing in managing it or in, you know, ongoing growth, learning the management strategies to do that. They just want to get offloaded to someone who is interested in being kind of a holding company and move on to their next thing. Right now, if they've locked their liquidity tokens and if they've locked their team tokens, they're kind of screwed because <laughs> existing I mean, yeah, existing locking platforms prior to revest. You, you you keyed that into a wallet, you're done. It you're done. It's that wallet. And sell that wallet. No one buys wallets. Right. So yeah. That's you're out. That's a great example of a problem. You're out of luck. That's my best. You can turn around, you can find a dev who wants to do that sort of work. And boom, you've just been acquired. It's one of the biggest industries in traditional finance. It doesn't exist in crypto for some reason. We're making it possible. That's beautiful. I love that. I think once people understand what you've built that the old ways of handling those situations, you know, will go away. Cause why not? I mean, why not provide that outlet for people? We're making moves to teach our friends who are the, the, uh, seed round investors about revest. Nice. Yeah. It makes total sense. Cause those guys could drive it. Yeah. No, we've been very specific in our marketing. Yeah. Our, our push right now is to, you know, it's similar to the coffee cup ring, how if you go into a coffee shop, you you see those cardboard rings everywhere. Coffee shops didn't come up with that. The uh, people who came up with that idea, once they'd come up with it, they went to the insurance companies and <laughs> said, hey, we are going to save you tens of millions of dollars a year on people burning their hands. And all you have to do is to mandate that every single coffee shop in existence under your uh, insurance use these coffee cup rings. That's obvious. Insurance companies said, yeah, of course. Drive the demand from that. Exactly. Indirectly. You know, it'll make everybody happy, right? It, the VCs tokens are locked up. So the community, the founders aren't worried about a massive dump. The VCs know they have a way out. And for them to demand it or require it or request it from anybody they invest in is not, it, it's not a big ask, right? You're actually making the lives of the dev team easier for managing this, right? And you're reducing an attack vector. So it's, it's wonderful. I've, I've heard so many dev teams telling me, you know, with the current solutions weren't good, we were going to have to write our own investing contracts. We're so glad you exist. Exactly. Totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. So 
so in that vein, kind of what, how many, how many projects have you guys been able to embark on board into it since you launched? I think we're sitting around three right now. We've got a few more partners coming down the pipeline. So I expect to see more teams investing their tokens shortly with us. Sure. And really our, our main thrust right now is getting involved with launch pads, getting involved with venture capitalists. Right. So your big job now is you're really taking on a business development role and partnering and, and building up the network and all of that good stuff. I mean, our goal is we don't want to just target individual project teams. I mean, individual project teams that I'm really excited about. I wish I could talk to them, but I literally can't. <laughs> uh, but we don't think that targeting individual teams is the right way forward. We think targeting them from an institutional perspective sure. is the right way forward. Well, I think that we have a few announcements quite soon. Nice. About some, uh, some institutional players that we're going to be working with. That's great. Well, look, I think ultimately your community that's excited about your project can drive individual projects that they're involved with in to, to use the platform, right? We are very interested in that as well. We're, we're preparing a program of sorts, and I can't give too many details away quite yet. But uh, there's a reason we've been putting together educational materials that anyone can use to sell or invest, to nice. tell people what we're doing, to explain you know, how we're, how we're going about this. We're very interested in marketing that actually, you know, grows our reach, grows our revenue streams and, you know, grows the value that we deliver to our stakers, because that's the way that we work is whenever someone comes in and we, we don't have revenue turned on right now because we are for the first, uh, few months in open beta, uh, got to decide on a proper revenue model before we implement it. Can't implement it without, you know, data on use. Sure. It, it's an interesting, it's an interesting Orbros, but where we are with that is we aren't interested in marketing that just pumps our value. We want to be a big player, a, we want to be, a, we, we consider ourselves to be a blue chip in all but uh, market value at this point. Sure. And our goal is to market ourselves in a way that brings new people on board, not just pumps the token. Yeah. I think people are going to start seeing what's possible with it and that'll help just naturally spread the word. From a revenue perspective, are you considering things like fees that are paid as a percentage of what's the value staked and paid in your token or staking required in order to have a, have a vault? That how it works is we take all the revenue we bring in and we give it hundred percent of it back to our stakers. Nice. It, uh, it splits between the LP stakers and the single asset stakers. We have okay. four different classes within those. We have one month, three month, six month, and 12 month. And the way that works is you lock your tokens into an FNFT. Of course like, they you, should. You it's not your staking <laughs> position. You can literally exit it early. That's uh, awesome. What a very use case. You know, I, I want to exit early. I'm like, just sell it. Just go yep. find somebody to buy it off. Exactly. Like, just exactly. Yeah. Um, and the way it works is you, you lock your tokens in, uh, you have like a, an unlocking window and then it automatically relocks and continues to earn fees throughout these periods. So the 12 month stakers are getting the best rewards. The one month stakers are getting the lowest proportional to each other. I think 12 month has like a 14 X multiplier or whatever you drop into it. So right. 14,000 in one month and 1,000 in 12 months are earning the same rewards. Right. Interesting little bit. You got, you got to reward people for locking up for a year. But the way that, the way that this all works is 
any fees that we incur, we're working on the fee model. We really like the ideas of, I mean, taking it as a percentage. That's definitely a good one. The problem is you have to be able to value it. So we're kind of right now our is uh, a flat rate model when you can't value the uh, the token. And if you can value the token, then take it as a, a certain percentage, like, I don't know, 0.3% or so. Right. Have you had projects come to you and say, hey, you know what? We want to use that same staking model with our tokens. And is there a staking platform for NFTs that would make sense for paying for that? Is that something you guys are putting out there to, for people to utilize? We're, uh, we're considering looking into that. That uh, seems like a lot of projects would love that. It's an interesting concept. We we very much like it. Um, we've had people talk to us about it. We haven't had any projects asked directly to use it yet, but we would we would be open to that. We absolutely it, would. It makes total sense. It gives, you know, or even exchanges like you know, Define. I I did an early play with them pre-launch, right? And their lockups were like ninety days, and I was semi annoyed when I saw a ninety day lockup. But I was like, whatever. I like this project. I like the team. I'm, I'll go for it. But Think how many people that if they knew there was a lockup, but also knew that there was a marketplace over here where I could unload this and get my cash if I needed it based on what it's earned so far, that could be pretty awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's basically an escape hatch if you need it. Yeah. Someone else is, someone else who's more bullish is going to swoop in and be like, oh, cheap tokens. Heck yeah. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. No, I, there, I see an entire business around that. No, I mean staking. We we are we're kind of looking into that right now. Or are actually, I mean, I'll give you some alpha because the community kind of knows about this. They kind of don't. But basically, what we're doing lately is I've got a side project going on. One of our newer devs actually is doing the interface, doing the web three, doing the test. I wrote the, the solidity. What it is is it takes our staking system and it abstracts it. And I mean, I'm a huge code nerd. I, I know people who are who. Who, who code are just going to love when they get their hands on this? Because I had to come up with some really weird concepts to get it to work, but it does. Nice. And what it is, is it's an NFT staking system. It can take any ERC721 in existence and you can lock it within the, F, the Revest FNFT NFT locker. It'll give you an FNFT that says, hey, I am this locked nft and i'm going to earn you rewards whenever somebody airdrops to the platform now airdropping what is regular airdropping well that's just state your rewards right so anyone can come in and say hey this nft address so let's say CryptoPunks, uh, i want to airdrop i don't know a hundred thousand rob tokens to these guys to get their attention or hey i'm the, the dev of CryptoPunks. i want to you know reward people who've locked up their nft and made it even more liquid for a period of time by giving them staking rewards i know for a fact that NFT staking is a big thing right now yep. in the in the nft industry so to me this is basically the white label solution that people have been looking for that's amazing when it's locked up can additional tokens be added to it after it's locked up typically you'd have to create a new stake there I might be a way to do that it is tricky just because I'm, of the way that the system is built yeah i was envisioning it from the perspective <laughs> of like an automatic trading bot that's that starts off with a principal and a set of funds right and then adds to that as the bot acts x operates so that it can't be touched until it hits X value or 
some time lock on the amount of trading that's done, not a necessity or any, even a the big difficulty market. with adding to any position is always. So when, when we do these kinds of stakes, we do some really fancy math that uh, FUBAR came up with and that I've kind of adapted. And the problem with that math is that what you're doing is you're setting a, a multiplier, right? So I have a multiplier of one X here, and then it's like 1.5 X here. And I know that between that time period, like 0.5, whatever came in. Right. The way that I back calculate interest rates on site arbitrarily or not the, the, not the interest rate, the interest is that I have to say, okay, this investment came in here. It's worth 1000 allocation points. And then over here, when I pull it out, the multiplier is 1.5. This thing had a multiplier of one when I dropped it in. So I know that it's earned 0.5. Right. 0.5 times 1,000 to represent what its total stake is. The difficulty is that if you're changing what that allocation point is in the interim, it's really hard to back calculate what the initial, what the initial Got it. should have been. Got it. Well, I guess programmatically, you could just launch a new one with similar I mean, parameters. Yeah, that's, that's absolutely doable. Okay, that's cool. Very cool. That is, that is very much doable, Leo. So what I'm, other... Don't get me started uh, on gas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. It, and this is layer one, right? Yes. We are layer one. We are looking into L2s right now. Cool. Do not want to jump the gun. We do not want to... I mean, it's, it's enough for us to have one side project right now. If we... If I was doing everything I want to do, like I've got, I've got ambitions for derivatives. I can take an interest-bearing token like Aave, and I've literally got the code for this right now, but I can't release it yet because it'd be too much of a distraction. Sure. I can take that and I can say, okay, here's the interest and here's the principle. You, each, you get two NFTs now, two FNFTs, and you can sell that interest-bearing FNFT off and keep the principle. And you're taking, you're basically taking the, the, the total interest payment right now. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And, you literally are just trying to find somebody who thinks that interest rates are going to be higher right. than what you're taking. That's really interesting. So, well, you you may have to start your own incubator slash launch pad so you can take all your side ideas and have other people run with it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably going to do some kind of community grants program eventually. Yeah, that makes sense. I love that. Yeah. So are there other crazy scenarios you've thought of for this thing that you think in the future you might do or that are doable now, but that's not the market you're going after? Safe staking. Uh, yeah. So what you were talking about with the staking thing, there's a subset of that that I really have just loved. And that is the concept of yield and principal separation. I was talking about interest-bearing tokens. Why not staking? Uh, nice. So the concept that you could actually bet on the value of a currency while you're staking it and you could sell off that to somebody who wants to bet that that future uh, value of the state token is going to be higher than what they're paying right now. Very nice. And I mean, it gets into the core of, you know, what derivatives are, they're, they're gambling, they're hedges, but sure. It allows you to do some really just ridiculous things in terms of, you know, guessing at interest rates and, uh, splashing around like that i mean yeah that 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 would have to be one that i'm really excited to play with call and put options are cool but i think we're gonna have to be deployed on an l2 before that's really feasible sure makes sense yeah right now with the l1s you need things that are that are not like you know hundreds of transactions in a week or something you need like you know it's, it's gas yeah and it's I, i've got an options contract written in solidity i did it pre-launch but uh, it costs about a million gas. 
to do uh, single options creation. Holy crap. Yeah, that's not acceptable. It's <laughs> not going to float. That is not a viable option. That's an L2. Yeah, exactly. Totally. Totally agree. <laughs> well, look, I mean, you build here, you build the infrastructure, you get it, you know, everything solid, and then you can start playing with everything on, on L2s once you're comfortable. I think that makes sense. L2s and really just seeing F2.0 come along be so exciting. Oh, uh, yeah, me too. I'm hoping we get some relief. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Please. <laughs> wow, Rob, this project sounds absolutely amazing. I'm really, I, I really think you're solving some really immediate problems that the, the DeFi has in general. And I'm, ex I, I'm going to, I'm definitely going to play with this thing. I'm really excited about it. We have Rafe, so you can just toss nice. it around to your heart's content. Nice. Nice. Well, I love the concept and I, I, I'm actually been playing with a bit of an idea in the back of my head that I think this could be actually really interesting for displaying the power of what you've built, but in a less serious way. So I'll, it's a little bit of a gamified thing. So I'll, but I'll, I'll I might, I might ping you back on DMS in the next week. Absolutely. I know gamification. I'm, I'm about it. We yeah. Right? A, the, a, the, the, the Minecraft guy. <laughs> yeah, we had a, we had a dev. We had a dev suggest the idea that okay, you've got address locks. These things just unlock whenever somebody sends a signal to them or when a specific set of conditions are met. And like I'm saying, an address lock there anything. Like you could set an address lock to unlock. I don't know when man sets foot on the moon again. It's it's pretty easy. He's thinking, okay, what if you go on a quest in a metaverse game? And you get the FNFT as the reward. And like when you finish the quest, it just unlocks. So we're exactly on the same path. Uh, less meta, I mean, some metaverse, but also some DeFi partners, right? So it becomes a scavenger hump to take actions with partners of yours or other projects or in a metaverse or whatever. And there's an initial NFT that you have. And then along the way, you can collect them and unlock, collect things and, and unlock tokens that that would reward you further or other NFTs maybe. So yeah. Really cool. Yeah. You can, yeah. You can totally do that with a chain link Oracle too. You just set up a, a single, like you query the event log. So you, I did this guy do this, this guy do this, this guy do this. I like that idea. That's brilliant. That I'm yeah. so glad somebody else is thinking along those lines. Cause I think that there's a, a ton of potential for something like this. So I'll like you so much, Brad. Yeah, man. I'll, uh, I'll ping, I'll ping you about it later, but I'm, I'm actually pretty excited to have this interview with you now because I've been noodling on this idea for several weeks and I think it, I think it's a perfect solution. I ask everybody that comes on the show, who is someone in DeFi or in crypto that you consider one of the most important people or project in the space, or that you just have this unbelievable level of respect for and feel like they're so critical to everything we're doing? I'm going to go twofold here. If we're talking about projects. Sure. Ave. Sure. Ave is the backbone. Ave is the gold standard, in my opinion, for what a blue chip DeFi should be. They launched, they dipped below their launch price for a while, and everyone forgets that. They launched at the very end of the bull market in 2017. Right. They, they go down, they, no one really cares about Eflin, and then they start coming back up. They, they're doing interesting things, and people are catching on. It's like, oh, wait, this is huge. These guys are massive. What? Why is this being ignored? <laughs> and now they shoot off into space and it's, it's steady the legend. You know, it's, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful protocol. In terms of people though, Andre Kronja. Yeah. Andre, I've talked to him a few times. He's a fantastic human being. 
he just he keeps putting things out. Yep. Uh, the other day, you know, he doesn't he doesn't do it for recognition. He doesn't do it for like any sort of you know. People don't even know that he's the guy who actually came up with keepers. Chandler yeah. forked it. Right. So, I didn't know how heavily he was involved in Phantom. I had no idea, no idea until I interviewed the Phantom guys. In between, in between that, he actually wrote an on-chain price oracle that I am so glad he wrote. <laughs> it takes Uniswap V3, does cross-asset, which is insane. I, I've writ, rewritten and rewritten our Uniswap V2 swap oracle. It is the most horrible thing in the universe to play with that kind of math. Andre came in, did it clean, did it beautifully with, I think it was Justin's, not Justin's son, it's, it, the guy's last name is Sun, because I call it the Conda Sun Oracle on Revest. He just put it out there, just like wrote a very short medium piece on it, didn't make a huge deal out of it. This is a generalized price oracle. This doesn't need updates. This is incredible. fantastic. It works for anything on Uniswap V3, and he's just like, oh yeah, here. It's amazing. The men's, the men's People like that are incredible. It, but they just keep cranking it out and they're not like, they're not looking for the ego stroke. You know, they're not looking to make somebody pay them for it. it those things they're releasing, they're just doing it. Now, I'm sure, look, they know down the line, the rewards have accumulated or whatever, but at the end of the day, they're just creating things. I had no idea his level of like writing a consensus mechanism for Phantom. Like I had no idea. I, you know, I thought it was like he was an advisor to the project. They're like, no, no, no. This guy's cranking on this thing every day. <laughs> he's always off doing rarity at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, it's right. great. In between. It's amazing, man. <laughs> amazing. Those are great. Those are two great ones. What's the best play way for people to connect with you and get involved with the project? In terms of becoming a coder on the project, probably your Discord. In terms of joining the community, definitely the Telegram. Great. In terms of getting in touch with me, I'm always around the Telegram. Go ahead and tag me. Most of the time, I'll respond pretty quickly. Cool. But yeah, we, myself and the team, we try to we try to keep a good presence in the community. You know, we, good. Uh, we want people to feel like we are involved and you know that we do care about what they have to say because I mean, hey, you know, they're a big part of the project too. Absolutely. So all those VCs now that want to come sign up, uh, <laughs> their projects. Just have shoot it, me a DM. I'll have, have him reach out to you. What's the website address? Revest.finance. Revest.finance. And on Twitter, it is Revest Finance, correct? Yes. Awesome. No spaces, no underscores. Anybody else is a scammer trying to steal your money and never give away your seed trades. There you go. Beautiful. Rob, thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited about your project. I, I, I think that it's one of those things that people are like, well, wait a minute, what, what does this do? You know, and then they, they start considering the possibilities for it. And I think the fun thing for you is going to be, not only are you going to be able to see success with the kinds of drivers and use cases that you thought of, but I think what's going to happen is people are going to be like, well, I could do this with this. And you're going to be like, what? That's so cool that you thought of that, right? And there, I think there's going to be a lot of that. I think that's a lot of fun for project creators. You know, I think uh, that actually some of the, I think some of the biggest innovations in tech have come about because people saw something and said, well, wait, I could use it for this. And nobody ever actually considered it for that. So that's great, man. I really appreciate it, Brad. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see where Revest goes. I'm, I mean, I, I've left my uh, position as a doctoral student. I'm not going back. And wow. I'm here to study. Awesome. Well, I think you're on the right path. And congratulations on the new 
marriage and the yeah. new project. And we'll <laughs> check back in with you in, in six months or so and see how things are going. That sounds fantastic. I look forward to talking with you again. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same, man. One of the best things about DeFi is composability, and Revest has composability written all over it. So many cool options for using this project for other applications, other ways to solve problems, and of course, the core problem of solving vesting schedules, et cetera, that they're working on right now is a huge one in DeFi. So I have a lot of hope for this project. I think it's got a ton of potential. Hope you enjoyed the show today. Thank you for listening. If you like it, please rate us, review us, tell your friends about it, tweet about it. Anything you can do to help promote us helps us grow and spread the word about decentralized finance.